1: Hey, I'm Tim Eccles. I'm Vice Chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. We're here every week on Energy Matters talking about all the cool innovations going on, even some research. Today, my co-host Casey Boyce in studio with us with Logan Booker. We're very excited to be back in here talking about one of Escalant's Studies, Casey, you guys you guys work really hard uh, to kind
0: of get a feel for what customers are thinking, feeling, and we're gonna learn a lot today. I certainly hope so, yeah. So, uh, you know, just by way of background, and we, we haven't talked a lot about my work on the show, uh, so appreciate this opportunity to, to share with you and with our listeners, um, but the company that I work for, Escalant, really, w- we spend a lot of time trying to understand on behalf of our clients who are companies, um, what their end customer thinks, feels, wants, uh, with the idea of being able to serve them better, and uh, so um, you know that's kind of the background for the company. And we we specialize in industries that are undergoing disruption, and certainly as our listeners will know, the energy industry is going through quite a bit of disruption right now. Yeah, ketchy let me
1: ask you this right off the top because it's a theory that I have, and of course we're in a university town here. And what do you do with theories? Well, you test theories. So. Here, here's my theory, is that if you're a Ford owner, and mm-hmm. you own an F-150, and you haven't gone electric yet, that there's a greater chance that you are going to buy an F-150 Lightning than, say, a Rivian pickup or a Silverado, do you think— that still stands true these days. Is brand loyalty still an important thing to customers?
0: Yeah, in markets where you've got a, a choice like cars, it absolutely is. So one of the things that we found in one of our other studies that that I work on called EV Forward, we've had our, our my colleague Mike Devorney on the show before to talk about this study. There are about 20% of new car buyers nationally that say, I'm gonna wait until the kind of car that i want is available as an ev before i buy my next car and that could be any number of things right it could be hey you know i i want a sports car i don't really care who makes it but i want it to be an ev or it could be you know what i'm an f-150 driver i've been an f-150 driver for my entire life i'm waiting for that lightning to come out so you're saying the sub brand i don't know the model it's not
1: just that you're a loyal to toyota you might be loyal to the prius is that what you're saying
0: absolutely yeah and and we see that kind of brand and that kind of model loyalty for for certain vehicles you know the f-150 is certainly one of them uh toyota is another one that's got pretty high brand loyalty subaru is another one that's up there so yeah is, is this why a company like ford would bring back iconic
1: models well, I wouldn't say the Maverick was an iconic car, but <laughs> but, but they have brought that brand—not that brand, but that model—back. Uh, not as a little car, but uh, I guess as an SUV or truck. Uh, is that why? Because people get attached to these models, and the the uh, the the manufacturer, the OEM, remembers how much market share that they had with the Maverick, and they think that hey, this is, going, this is going
0: to be advantageous to us. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes those work well and sometimes they don't, right? And so, you know, another uh, example in the electric vehicle space is the uh, Ford Mustang Mach-E, right? Um, and I was actually talking with one of my colleagues the other day. We did some of the clinics uh, with that uh, vehicle early on before it was introduced. Uh, and I can't say on the air what one of the uh, attendees at the clinic said when they pulled off the tape and revealed that it was a Mustang, um, but he was not very happy to see that Mustang logo on this SUV, right? So, you know, I I think Ford's done really well with that vehicle. It's a great EV, um, but there are a lot of people who, you know, for them, the Mustang brand's really important and having it on an SUV, well, that's kind of sacrilegious, right? Casey, you you and I, you know, had talked what we thought
1: would happen in the Super Bowl with ads and one of the non-electric vehicles that was advertised was the Toyota Tundra truck. As As a car, guy who does studies and and you talk about customer engagement. You study customer engagement.
0: As you saw that Tundra commercial, what were you thinking? That I didn't really care. And- that I lost the wager from our previous show. <laughs> so for our listeners that didn't catch that um, uh, on a, a previous show, I predicted that 100% of the Super Bowl ads would be for EVs uh, or of the, the car ads during the Super Bowl. So I, I lost that one. But let, let me ask you this. Uh,
1: NBC had the Olympics and the Super Bowl. Yep. Toyota was uh, a presenting sponsor of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So their ads were everywhere everywhere uh on on the olympics short long you know in between you know sports different things uh even even crawls at the bottom of the screen do you think that you know because of their relationship with the olympics and NBC that hey you know we're we're going to go you know we're going to go with the super bowl as well because it's occurring dur- during during The Olympics. I mean, do you think that had anything to do with it, and why advertise that truck instead of instead of like the Prius Prime, something like that?
0: Yeah. So I I mean, quite possibly, but I I imagine that um, you know some of the ad buying decisions around the Super Bowl were a little bit independent of some of the sponsorship around uh, the Olympics and things like that. But but uh, you know, there is, as you point out, a nice tie in there. Uh, You know, quite honestly, if you look at the economics. Toyota makes a lot more on trucks than they do on the Prius. And that's true of any automaker, right? They're making a lot more on trucks and SUVs than they are on electric or hybrid vehicles. And so if you're thinking about, you know, where am I making my money and what do I really want to sell? You know, a lot of the the are, automakers are saying, hey, you know, I really want to be selling these trucks and SUVs because that's what makes the money for me. And, you know, some of them have taken a very intentional approach to say we're going to use the money that that throws off to fund our investment in EVs. Others, maybe not so much. Were you surprised, uh, you drive a Polestar 2,
1: mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, kind of a, a, a Volvo product, I guess. Were you surprised
0: at the negative tone of the Polestar 2 ad i didn't see it as being overly negative i think that it was there were pieces of it that were over people's heads like i had to explain to the people that i was watching the super bowl with what that no colonizing mars thing was about right like the the tesla tie-in and reference was just completely lost on them right um you know from what i've heard after the super bowl though that was one of the most talked about ads and so you know good for them right they got the brand awareness and the brand list that they were looking for from that i had somebody tell me a tesla
1: driver and you know how loyal those guys oh, are. oh yeah I had the Tesla folks say, well, once again, we didn't advertise, but we're going to get all the business from this because these cars that are these companies advertising these cars, the cars aren't available. Our cars are. And they were they were
0: quite uh, in the face of these other manufacturers. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Tesla's done a great job of, of establishing mind share for customers when they think about electric vehicles. Um, they've done a better job than a lot of auto- automakers in Riding through the chip shortage, and to your point, making the vehicles available, although they're starting to have some issues with vehicle availability. Um, so, you know, good for them, right? It, this is the fun thing about competition. Yeah, and the Silverado ad, the electric Silverado with
1: the Sopranos there, it was a that was a really a surprise. that That ad was such a surprise to me.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that's it's great to see a bunch of different options out there for electric trucks and to your point uh, earlier at the beginning of the show you know if you're a silverado buyer but you want an electric truck well if the only option out there is the rivian or the f-150 lightning that that may not be a sell for you so it's it's great to have them releasing that Yeah.
1: And then, of course, I had predicted 10 ads and I think there were only seven. I I was trying to count that little electric vacuum thing as an electric vehicle (laughs) so that I could get closer to my to my score. Uh, But I had some people tell me that really wasn't wasn't fair. So uh, I, I was pleased with the number of cars advertised, but I was surprised that, you know, that that there wasn't more. I didn't see I didn't see. A Hummer. I didn't see the Tesla uh, in anything um, I, I saw a little bit of a shout out to the Nissan electric vehicle I don't know if you saw this but my son's a Nissan 300z freak he mm-hmm. loves so he liked that ad then yeah, yeah he, he he likes he liked the 240 the 260 the 280 the 300 and I think he had a 380 um, but at the end of that, um, I guess, was that a 380 or 390? I don't know what they're at now. But at the end of that, the girl looked over at the Nissan electric car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I count that as a full-blown ad for an electric <laughs> car. because. But, I did not. But. Yeah, but but isn't it true, Casey, just the last minute here of this yeah. segment, isn't it true, though, that the manufacturer must be thinking, how can I take my loyal cars, that uh, my loyal model uh, customers that drive this particular model and transition them. I've got to show them that car, and then I've got to show them the electric alternative of it. That that was my theory.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that's certainly valid, but I, I, you know, at the same time, I don't know that a you know Z buyer is going to be in the market for an electric crossover. Um, so yeah, good yeah. point. Good point. Well, that's they don't have anything that fast over there yet. I mean,
1: the Nissan GTR is like. One of my favorite cards of all times, right? But uh, but they don't have an electric version of that yet. Not yet. Yet. So, well, when we come back, Casey, we've got this study. A lot of very cool findings that you guys have found. That you know that customer engagement with service providers is flat. Looking at, at twenty twenty, that uh, that the, the rural customers aren't being reached by utility programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've you found in this that. Uh, that different segments of low-income customers need different things from their utility. We're going to dive into all of this when we come back. I'm Tim Eccles. He's Casey Boyce with Excellent and co-host of Energy Matters. We're going to be back with some great data in just a minute. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com bmvw is the place in metro atlanta to get your used hybrid plug-in hybrid or fully electric car they're located on the south side near the airport but it is well worth the drive go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days i don't know of anywhere else in metro atlanta that you can do that that's ev-hybrid.com the best deal in town ev-hybrid.com ev-hybrid.com but how we thank john gornall and all the attorneys and staff at agg for sponsoring our show hey tim Eccles back on energy matters with casey Boyce, my co-host from decatur we're talking cars we're talking customer engagement i mean casey i'm a car aficionado from way back because my family owned a car auction and i was always going up there and i was around all these cars in fact I even got to drive some of them like when I was 11 or 12. I mean, it was like it was just like I mean, not out on the road, of course, (laughs) on on private property. Y'all, I'm not breaking the law out there, but uh, but our private property, you know, moving them around. In fact, my first day of working at the car wash on the thing, one of the cars we had a little car wash there we we washed the cars every day uh one of the cars the brakes didn't work and when i went on the wash pad it went off the wash pad off this little cliff and it was a it was a disaster so i've got horror stories from from <clears throat> my youth up there well casey tell us about this study why you all did it and what did you find
0: yeah so l- let me back up a, a little bit here so the study that that we run, um, that that I kind of do day to day, is called the Utility Trusted Brand and Customer Engagement Study. What the heck does that mean, right? Well, the idea behind it is that for a long time the utility industry measured customer satisfaction, and that's still a very important thing. But it's it's not, you know, as we think going forward, a lot of the the things that we talk about on this show, Tim. Things like electric vehicles or solar or home battery storage, it really changes the nature of the relationship between customers and their utility, right? It's not just being satisfied. It's, you know, is the utility helping you do these things, right? You buy an EV, what are my options for charging? Is there a rebate to put a charger in my home? Is there a different rate structure that I might be on that saves me money, right? We've talked about time of use programs in the past that does that, right? So, what, what we look at is this idea that, you know, customers really need to trust their utility. They've got to have a, a good brand opinion and they need to be engaged with their utility for us collectively to be able to do kind of better things.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you with yeah. Georgia,
0: Georgia Power yeah. uh, here.
1: Uh, what grade would you give them on, on all
0: things EV? Um. Oh, all things EV. I thought you were going to ask me overall. Uh, so, I mean, I think Georgia Power, they're probably, I'd put them at an A-minus maybe. Yeah, that's
1: good. Um. Yeah. I Is mean, that because of the... Of the time of use, uh, EV time of
0: use rate, or the fact that they're doing all this make ready, or the fact they're doing community chargers, I guess, or all of the things. Yeah, so I think it's all of the things. And a couple of things that stand out to me for what Georgia Power is doing. One is that they seem to have a pretty comprehensive view of the kinds of things that are necessary to get people in electric vehicles. And that's not just like, you know, all of our listeners, you and I, but it's also fleet customers. So uh, they've done quite a bit of work in consulting. With fleets and helping them understand they've got a program called will it work i think we've spoken about it on the show before where, where they'll go in and help a fleet buyer understand okay here's the duty cycle here you know things that might be exceptions from that will an ev work for you in your fleet environment and really kind of get in uh, into detail there when you think about grid vulnerability
1: uh by increasing evs uh you know in, in america Do you feel like the grid is most vulnerable from commercial EVs
0: or commuter residential EVs? Um, That's a really good question. And I think probably the, if you had to paint me into a corner, it's probably the residential and here's why, is that the, the commercial EVs generally, not always, but generally they're gonna be charging at a depot and the owner of that fleet uh, already has a, a you know, rate relationship with Georgia Power or their utility, wherever they may be. And typically those commercial rates have what's called a demand rate uh, or demand component of that, right? Uh, and so that essentially says the maximum amount of power you're using at any given time you're going to get charged that so these fleet owners are already fairly savvy and i won't say you know all of them are but they get this idea that if you're charging everything at the same time that's going to jack up their electric rates so they're going to be a little bit better grid citizen right residential customers, in contrast, we generally don't have demand rates. There's an option to do that through Georgia Power, um, but not many customers are on that right now. And we don't necessarily have that visibility into like how much power we're using at any one given time. Similarly, when we've done research and talked to people that buy an EV or are thinking about buying an EV, most of them don't think about contacting their utility. And by the way, folks, if you're listening to this and you're interested in an EV, go reach out to your utility, whether it's an EMC or Georgia Power or one of the municipal utilities around the state, many of them have great programs that'll make your experience better. But most people don't think of that, right? And so they just get home from work and they plug in their car. And so you think about a neighborhood and the utility's got limited visibility into that, you know, in contrast to the fleets, you get everyone coming back plugging in and you see this big spike in demand and that's gonna put more wear and tear on the transformers and all of that good stuff. It's gonna require more uh, kind of replacement infrastructure sooner. So again, this goes back to this question of why do we care about engagement? Because if customers are engaged with their utility, they are more likely to think of them and say, okay, I'm buying an EV, what sorts of programs are there, maybe I'll go on a time of use. And so rather than getting home and plugging in and you see that demand spike at 6 p.m. when everyone gets home, maybe I'm charging overnight from 11 o'clock. And so you spread that out a little bit better. So I was meeting with Amazon Rivian and Google in Washington recently at, at one of our
1: NARUC trade conferences, our National Utility Commissioner Conference. And one of the things that Amazon said is that they do have this goal to have X number of electric vans Mm -hmm. um, at their uh, fulfillment centers, uh, distribution centers. And it could be 20, could be 50, could be 100, could be 150, different different places. Um, Obviously, they're rolling these out already in California, but eventually they will be here in Mm -hmm. Georgia. And we were talking about what it would take for their, uh, not their driver's, to, to not plug in as soon as they get there, because the vehicles are going to be plugged in, I think, as soon as they get there. But what it would take to incentivize an Amazon to not start the charging on the van until 10.01 or 11.01 or whatever the particular time is that that was set for them. Knowing that they're not loading the trucks, they said, until three in the morning, mm-hmm. um, and so they don't need to move the trucks off the charger until maybe starting at about two in the morning, mm-hmm. getting it over there staged. I mean, if you were designing it exactly the way, you know, to maximize the grid, how would you? What would you create? In order to incentivize a, a commercial entity
0: like Amazon to delay the charging, yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it comes down to what does this look like as it scales, right? And and by that I mean, okay, so Amazon adopts a bunch of EVs. What happens when UPS does that, and then FedEx does that, and then all of the food delivery you know places do that? And so if you're saying we're going to do something that incentivizes everyone to wait until 10:01, well, then you have this big spike in load at 10:01. And it, you potentially run into issues right so i think part of it is understanding that you know you need to balance the grid and you need to be able to to deal with these things in a little bit more nuanced ways and one of the the potential ways of doing that And by the way, this is something that can help those fleet owners avoid demand charges as well, is to have managed charging. So maybe it's the utility, maybe it's a third party that aggregates, but they're looking at signals from the utility or signals from the grid and saying, okay, we've got some excess capacity, we can start charging now and making sure that over the course of the evening that those, you know, all of those vehicles that need to be charged by 2, 3 a.m., whatever it is, that they have a full charge and they're able to go. Because, you know, if I'm Amazon and half of my fleet can't go the next morning, that's an issue, right? Yeah, so you're saying that it might actually be possible to allow
1: the utility to use an algorithm and that that over a period between 6 p.m. and 3 a.m., Uh, The chargers are turned on and off, on and off, based on the overall grid system, kind of like we're doing with this, uh, that Georgia Power is doing with this temp check program in homes with
0: a smart thermostat. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the challenges, and we've seen this in California with their time of use program, is that those sorts of time-based rates are a little bit of a blunt instrument, right? So the California time of use was originally very similar to the Georgia time of use. It was overnight, was kind of your uh, off-peak period, um, and then you had like a two to seven kind of peak period during the day well as they've gotten more solar on the grid in california they've got solar that they can't use during the middle of the day, right? So they want to incentivize people to use power during that middle of the day period because otherwise they're, it's just going to go to waste. And then when you get to the evenings, which would typically be the off peak period, well, they've got to ramp up a bunch of stuff as the sun goes down. Well, they don't want people to be plugging in their vehicles or using their, their air conditioning or whatever then. So they've had to adjust the time window to account for those changes. And because you've got that time window in place, you know, it's not a big deal if it's just you and I plugging in our cars and charging at 11. It is a big deal if literally every person in the state starts charging at 11. You know, just in our
1: last minute uh, on the segment, California is way ahead of us on electric vehicles, right? we probably got 50,000 EVs. They, they're probably up to 700,000 of them now. They certainly have had a chance to experiment more than we have.
0: They have, yeah. And there have been a lot of really cool uh, projects like the managed charging that we've been talking about that have happened in California. But they're still kind of finding their way as to like how this is all going to work together with the grid. Well, when we come back,
1: we're going to talk more about uh, Casey's study with Escalon. We're going to talk about uh, Maslow. Uh, and the utility customer engagement model. Get into a little uh, psychology here. I didn't do that well in psychology. Uh, And we're going to talk about uh, personal touches that utility can make with customer engagement. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, messaging. Uh, It's just some cool things out of this Escalon study. So stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it, and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the port of Savannah too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin Services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings Today, hey Tim Eccles, back with you on Energy Matters. My co-host Casey Boyce and we're talking about Escalant, Casey's company, and the the studies that they've done. You know, in customer engagement, customer satisfaction, particularly as it relates to automobiles. And Casey, y'all have done stuff. That's not just electric vehicle. You've looked at other things besides that in in, in your company's past, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. So we've got a, a very big auto and mobility practice. So um, we do work for automakers on you know brands on product development. The you know those uh, those Chevy commercials with the the clinics or you know where people are reacting to the vehicle or whatever. We do that kind of thing, right? Um, so we do that. We also work with uh, with energy utilities. That's where where I spend most of my time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you got all those ads we talked about. How important is advertising in the automobile business? It's big. Um, So brand perceptions really shape customers uh, buying behaviors, to be quite frank. Right. And so, you know, if they're not advertising and they're not advertising effectively, then they can see a real ding in terms of sales. But it's not just the advertising. Right. They've got to have a compelling product as well.
1: We've got Kia here in Georgia. They've certainly had a huge economic impact in our state. Uh, you remember their little advertising campaign for the soul with a little hamster that yes. was kind of like a superhero uh and so they had that i thought it was a hip-hop hamster uh, okay i i don't know much about hip-hop uh so um uh, so <laughs> i just remember it jumping out of a building holding like a sheet and okay. landing through the sunroof of the car uh so that that was cool and i did eventually get a soul i don't think it was because so of, it worked i don't know if it was because <laughs> of that commercial but uh it did cause me to look and say that's a cute car uh, mm-hmm. right so i mean my wife says, hey, that was that Soul EV we had was my most favorite car. It was so cute. So, I mean, I guess the cute hamster
0: and the cute car, maybe psychologically, that goes together? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think back to the, the Dodge Neon. Do you remember when they first unveiled those in the uh, the mid-90s, I guess? They had, like, a picture of the car, which had a very friendly face to it, and it was just high. Right. I mean, so the same kind of like giving it a a personality and they did really well with those. And then Kia changed their brand, the actual
1: logo from just three letters, KIA, easy to read to something that, you know, that is harder to see that somehow
0: represents electric mobility. What about that? I I guess. Um, So it's interesting because one of the things that, you know, when you're thinking about your brand, whether it's an automaker whether it's an energy brand. um, uh, You know, we we did a uh, kind of quick case study of a couple of utilities that rebranded last year in in one of our reports that there's a real risk that you throw away the brand equity that you've created. whether it's changing the logo, whether it's changing the name, uh, which was the case in, in these companies. Um, and so you do have to be really careful with that, uh, particularly if you've got a strong brand association that's helping drive, um, you know, the customers that you want to, to buy from you. That Kia tell Telluride yeah. uh, that they make down at West Point, I've been in the
1: factory a number of times, watched them, you know, assembling that, that vehicle. It is a Cool-looking vehicle. I, I can I can always tell when they're coming up behind me because their running lights, uh, LED running lights, are seems like they're always on and they're very distinct. Yeah. And uh, you know, back in the day when I was driving seven kids around, you know, one of the reasons we bought a Ford Ex- Expedition that had a rear passenger seat and a bench in the middle was I could actually fit all the kids in there. And I, and we had that video monitor, and they gave me four headsets when I bought it. So the kids could be watching a, a video player quiet, Wendy and I sitting there talking you know uh and the other ones are reading or whatever but that tell you ride I, I think if i were buying an suv today i would buy that because it it looks great uh, it just it's got all that room
0: i don't know if y'all have done research on that but it's so it's such an impressive vehicle well one your kids had to step up from what uh, what we did where they you know you just put the the seat down and let the kids hang out in the back kind of free range without seat belts <laughs> on so um, you know kids these days have it easy i guess but um but two i mean i, I think your point really really Gets back to this idea you've got to have good product, right? And the, the Telluride is absolutely good product. It's a great SUV if that's what you're looking for. Um, and so, you know, the, the marketing. So it's interesting, Tim, because we look at, at you know, kind of this two sides of, of the coin there's brand and then there's customer experience, right? And so brand is, and I'm simplifying here, but brand is, you know, what I tell you I am. Customer experience is your lived experience. You know, Tim, I can tell you you I'm a nice guy all day long, but if every experience you have with me is that I'm a jerk, you know, my telling you that I'm a nice guy just isn't going to fly for that long, right? So you got to really make sure that those two sides of the coin support each other. There's probably some political advice in there somewhere. (laughs) Probably. I'll let you and your colleagues figure that out. (laughs)
1: I've asked Kia, hey, when are you going to make a plug-in hybrid version of this or a fully electric version? And they don't know when. And Kia's rollout of EVs has been fairly slow. I mean, they were to the market early with that sole in 2015 just behind the nissan leaf you know they got here in 12 the japanese version and then the tennessee version in 13. do you see more and more of uh, of japanese companies including toyota producing
0: electric vehicles in the future yeah the japanese companies are are really interesting because on one hand from a product standpoint they really are laggards There are not any currently available pure EVs from Japanese companies right now. There have been a couple in the past, um, and there are a couple on the roadmap going forward. Um, But at the same time, when we look at customer brand perceptions in our work, um, many of the Japanese car companies, including Toyota, Predominantly, customers think of them as leaders in electrification, and I think that's a little bit of the halo effect from, you know, their work with the Prius and being very early in in sort of that more green, eco conscious uh, vehicle. So that you know, this is a a sort of an example of where those two sides of the coin don't match. Right? There's this brand perception that they're very green and very forward on EVs. The reality is that they don't have any. In your studies.
1: And this is my anecdotal experience. We'll go back to a, a yet a third theory I have today. I talk to people that are buying new hybrids for the first time. Mm-hmm. They're getting a hybrid, not a plug-in hybrid, no plug on the car. But they feel like they're buying an electric car, that, mm-hmm. that, that this is, to them, an electric car. Do you find that?
0: You know, I don't know that we have... Gotten that deep into that that sort of consumer psychology that you're talking about there? I mean, I think um, you know people buy cars from an emotional basis largely, and then kind of rationalize it. And for many people, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is increasingly. They're concerned about the environment. They want to do something to help, and so look, you know, every little bit helps. Uh, you know, whether it's buying a hybrid or a full electric, um, and you know, oftentimes it's funny. So t- taking that middle step, right, the plug-in hybrid. Oftentimes, I've run into people who have bought a plug-in hybrid, and they have range anxiety—not from the battery range, but from the gas range. They're saying, "I don't want that gas engine to kick in." Right? So, it's—it's <laughs> it's just a—it's a very different way of looking at it. So, every little step, you know, kind of helps people along the journey. Funny story: my mother-in-law, uh, whose Ford Escape blew an engine
1: recently she needed a car she's 85 still drives still spunky um vivian if you're listening we love you i have a chevy volt as mm-hmm. you know i have a nissan leaf i have a cng truck uh, i have my state vehicle that i use for for state travel i've got a daughter out of town so i've got the volt to loan her mm-hmm. so i take the volt over to her and show her how to to drive it she doesn't have a garage and i said look you, you can save some gas here and i brought a, an extension cord along with a regular charger cord i said we can just plug this right into your front porch yeah and i showed her how to do that what the light looked like and where to put the charger when she wasn't using it and so for the first time she's experiencing a version of an electric car uh, how, how, do you see these plug-in Hybrid as being like a gateway drug to electric vehicles.
0: Yeah, so and especially something like the the Volt, where it's basically a pure electric car, and the the gas engine runs as a generator. Um, that you know that we call it butts and seats, right? People that have experience with electric vehicles, whether it's like your daughter getting to drive it or you know, riding in it or whatever, that demystifies it and makes electric vehicles more compelling. And people are more likely to at least shop for, if not necessarily buy an electric vehicle if they've had some exposure to them. So that could be a rental car that Absolutely. you might rent
1: from Hertz or, or National. It could be maybe a Lyft that you yep, take, the Chevy Bullets, uh, yep. what are some other ways people can accidentally wind up in an electric car? <laughs> I
0: don't know that anyone accidentally winds up in an electric car, but uh, you know, one of the other things is just knowing people with electric cars, uh-huh. right? So I'm sure your neighbors have asked you about your Volt uh, and about the Leaf, and I'm sure you've told them about that. And, uh, you know, being able to ask those questions, I remember my mom asking me one time, do you get electrocuted if you drive through a puddle in this, right? And No, mom, we're, we're good. Um, but being able to ask those questions someone you know and trust uh, is helpful wait till your mom sees the rivian drive through three feet of water exactly Uh,
1: yeah so that's really cool when we come back i have promised to talk about maslow and we haven't talked about maslow yet we're going to talk about some of the other findings from kc and escalant in our final segment you're listening to energy matters we appreciate you listening in stick around we're going to have some great data i'm tim Eccles. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and, of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, back one more segment with Casey Boyce and Escalant. Casey, tell us what Escalant is.
0: So Escalant's a human behavior and data analytics firm. So basically we work with uh, industries that are undergoing disruption and help them figure out how to better engage with their customers. So how much time have you spent in your life studying Maslow? Um... (sighs) as a percentage, pretty small. But that is, uh, Tim, for our, our listeners, Tim is holding up a sheet of paper that I provided him uh, that kind of overviews the philosophy of the study that I run. And the idea behind it here, Tim, is that much like Maslow said, you know, there's this hierarchy of needs, and if you don't satisfy something that's lower down on the pyramid, anything above it's kind of meaningless, right? And so for our purpose, when we think about how customers engage with their utility, really the base of that that pyramid are things that impact satisfaction. so making sure that the lights stay on or the gas keeps flowing, making sure that you know uh, the operations are safe that you know bills are accurate and clear, making sure that when you know customers need service that they have a good experience with the utility. and our data really backs us up that you know if you don't do those things well as a utility, anything else you do, whether it's you know, solar rate programs or EV programs or whatever it might be for your customers, they don't care because you're not getting the basics right. So those fundamentals are really core to getting customers to engage with you. And then you've got to layer onto it uh, what we call brand trust. So that's, you know, do I trust you to provide things? Are you kind of a good corporate citizen? and then, if I'm looking for products uh, and services, so I just bought an EV, and I'm curious about what does my utility have to offer. That needs to be a good experience. So finding out about that, uh, those programs that might be available to me, um, learning about them, seeing how they might benefit me, whether it's you know savings or environmental, and then ultimately signing up for them, it's got to be easy. So when you think about cars, and we've been talking about cars this whole this whole episode,
1: what is the basic needs for a car customer and a person that buys a Tesla and now all of a sudden has a completely different experience they're doing the karaoke singing along as they're going they're you know they're 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 not having to hold the steering wheel they're texting while they're driving because they you know they're on autonomous node mode has the basic needs for an automobile
0: customer
1: changed
0: that's a really good question, and I can't put myself in the frame of mind of a Tesla owner. Those those folks are weird. Um, I'm just <laughs> kidding. That said with love, all of all of you Tesla owners out there, um, but. No, look, you know, kind of at its core, there's a couple of things that that vehicles do for us. One is obviously transportation, getting us from place to place, right? And it's kind of the point A to point B buyer. And, you know, if that's not something that we need, then we're probably not going to buy a vehicle. But there are other things. And again, this kind of goes back to the the Maslow's hierarchy. You know, if the car can get you from point A to point B, maybe it's about expressing who I am as a person. And I think Tesla's a great example of that, where, you know, they're perceived as sexy. They're perceived as being really, you know, highly, you know, kind of new tech and cool stuff like the karaoke, if you're into that. Um, And so it's expressing who I am as a person to other folks. So pretend you're
1: my car psychiatrist. Oh, boy. All right. You're the psychiatrist. I'm the patient. And so and I had a BMW X3 one Mm -hmm. time. I bought it for my wife because I, I didn't buy her this 1985, 520 when I was young. always regretted it. You had to make up for it, huh? And and I just showed up at her job one day with this X3, a used X3 that I bought an extended warranty. It was a certified vehicle, actually. So it had a warranty extended up to 100,000 miles. So you're my car psychiatrist. And I tell you, look, Dr. Dr. Casey, I am just not comfortable keeping this German vehicle beyond the 100,000 miles Mm -hmm. and having it out of warranty what's wrong with me what what's wrong with my basic
0: needs as a former bmw owner i would tell you absolutely nothing tim (laughs) (laughs) but but look so this gets to um again sort of that perception of reliability right so if you're concerned that it's not going to be able to get your wife from point a to point b or leave her stranded on the side of the road um if you're concerned about the cost right it's all vehicles have to fit in our budget right and you're saying oh my gosh if this is out of warranty and you know I've got to replace the windshield wipers that's gonna bankrupt me wait well, you know whatever it may be right um, yeah, that's just a very rational way of thinking about it so I'm not sick doctor <laughs>
1: <laughs> folks this is going off the rails but no you're not <laughs> okay okay so okay you got you know basic basic needs so you know when you think about when you think about basic needs for electric transportation as we move forward right we've we we saw the nissan leaf which i've had three of these you've had one i believe i've not no no. you haven't no you didn't have one okay uh but you had a little volkswagen right the e-golf yeah we've got the e-golf yeah so but things have come a long way uh, since uh the nissan leaf i love my leaf i still have one I, I, i drive it all the time my wife drives it um but it seems like that OEM companies you know like Ford, like Chevy uh, and and others the German companies are looking at their customers what their customers see as basic needs for their vehicles from their brand and they're attempting to fit the electric versions of their vehicles into that kind of a mold. Does that?
0: I mean, does that? Does that sound right? Yeah, and that's about right. And and honestly, I think that's a good strategy, right? One of the big mismatches that we've seen is that, you know, if you look at what people want to buy, it's midsize and compact SUVs overwhelmingly. And when you look historically at what's been available as an electric vehicle, it's been like compact hatchbacks. And look, there's weirdos like me that like compact hatchbacks. There's not many of us out there, right? And so that's why you haven't seen EVs take off as fast. Is that, you know, if someone that says I want a mid-size SUV, that telluride we were talking about earlier, and looks at a leaf and they're like, that just isn't gonna do it for me. So, you know, fortunately, we are seeing more of the kinds of vehicles that customers want to buy, you know, compact. Compact midsize SUVs, pickup trucks that are coming out in electric versions, and so I, I think it's a good strategy because it matches what people want. So the the
1: teasing we've been getting on these Super Bowl ads, and for you know the the VW van, for example, we've mm-hmm. been seeing the photo of that for years, yet the real vehicles never actually materialize is that because there's a quality control issue there's not enough demand for it they're trying to get the cost down what is keeping these oems from putting these new models out there
0: well i i don't know that it is an issue with Promising something and not being able to deliver. I actually think, and that, by the way, I'm not you know revealing any secret inside information here. This is just my kind of take on on what they're doing, which is that from a brand perspective, you think about General Motors. So you know, General Motors has uh, the Volt. They've got the Bolt. Um, they've got a bunch of new electric vehicles coming out soon, uh, but they really have been putting a lot of emphasis on saying, hey, we're going to transform who we are as a company and the kinds of vehicles that we make. But the advertising has been about shifting customer perceptions of who General Motors or, you know, who Chevy is before those vehicles are available Mm. so that they're kind of getting people used to this idea that, oh, yeah, I can go to my Chevy dealer and I can get an electric Silverado. Do you think part of this is the
1: fact that getting your local dealer to stand up the repair shop all the things they need to be able to service these vehicles and give uh, kind of the customer experience that you were talking about a while ago do you think that's playing into
0: any of this yeah i mean there's definitely a training uh, and equipment piece of things i think you know if we've tomorrow had an all-electric vehicle fleet in this country the way that people interacted with their dealer would be very very different right so there is sort of this transition period that that the automakers and the dealers have to figure out and they're they're trying to do that right now yeah as we wrap up the show the the last couple of minutes here you know 2022
1: 2023 what's going to be the in, in your opinion kind of the the, the major push or
0: accomplishments in this world of EVs? Well, I think the biggest one is just getting more vehicles to market. I'm really excited to see what happens when we have more pickup truck uh, EV options on the market. Uh, I really think that's going to unlock a lot of potential. Um, I think the other thing that is going to be a big development is just infrastructure. And, you know, the, the federal government's putting $5 billion into infrastructure when people actually see this stuff on the road and, you know, as they're doing a road trip and they're saying, oh. I can do that. I'm not going to get stranded on the side of the the roadway. That's going to go a long way in making people confident that EV is an option for them. So if they stop at a store or a rest stop and they see... An EV
1: charger, even though they're not in an EV, you're saying they're going to note that, and that's going to register somewhere in back of their mind that one day maybe they can drive an electric. Absolutely,
0: and we were talking earlier about how I'd rate Georgia Power. That's one of the other things that I think that they've done really well is that in their public charging investments, they've chosen sites that are highly visible and they put them in visible locations. It's not in the back of the parking lot, and they've invested in eye-catching branding so that people can see those charging stations and say, oh that's available in an area that i usually go i might not need it right now but if i'm thinking about an ev i know that's out there just in the last minute your Polestar 2 we saw the commercial on the
1: super bowl um is it the car that you had hoped uh yeah i've been really really happy with it and what do you compare it to more of a nissan leaf or
0: more of a tesla uh more of a tesla but it's a better car yeah. Why is it a better car? It's just made better. It drives better. I was really disappointed with how the Model 3 drove when I, I test, drove to, uh, test drove it for an extended period of time. Um, and I like the way the Polestar drives. Where can folks find the study online? Yeah. So if you want to go to Escalant.co, so it's not .com, it's .co, and then you can uh, browse around the website. One of the studies we've talked a lot about is called EV Forward. And then there's a utility trusted brand and customer engagement study uh, that we've also spoken about that's available on the website there and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast by searching for energy matters
1: with commissioner Eccles." thanks for being with us today hope you have a great weekend everyone